This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, January 6th, 2020. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. As dusk fell on the U.S. Capitol tonight, after protesters fell upon it, hallways and offices were still occupied by a MAGA hat-wearing mob. At least one person was shot as insurrectionists stormed through barricades, broke windows, crashed through doors, and created a scene that has never been seen because it only ever happened, per the observations of Fox's Chad Pergram, when Washington was burned during the War of 1812. This is the most significant breach of an American government institution since the Battle of Bladensburg, August 24th, 1814, when the British came and burned the Capitol and also burned the White House. We have never had an instance of an incursion inside the U.S. Capitol building to this degree uh, since that time. Uh, let's be clear, the mob upended American democracy today as they try to count the Electoral College. The mob, the insurrectionists, the horde, all fair. I call them protesters. Technically true, but they are illegitimate protesters. On CNN, they were describing the actions in more scathing terms. Jake Tapper. Definition of sedition is to try to overturn the rule of law uh, through force. And that is what we are witnessing. Trump supporters who have been lied to by Trump and his minions, individuals like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, lied to by MAGA media, have been incensed and outraged, and they are now uh, resorting, to, resorting to, to physically trying to storm the Capitol to stop the constitutional process. This is accurate. Title 18 of the U.S. Code defines sedition as to oppose by force the authority of the United States government to prevent, hinder, or delay by force the execution of any law of the United States to take seize or possess by force any property of the United States. The process Tapper spoke of is usually pro forma. It is laid out in the Constitution, 12th Amendment, on January 6th, quote, the president of the Senate shall in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. But getting in the way of these efforts to count the electoral votes was the farcical effort led by Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, also involved Ted Cruz and about a dozen other senators, plus well over 100 members of the House of Representatives. Exemplifying their position is the Newly sworn in representative Lauren Boebert, the first words this freshman representative who rode the Second Amendment to Washington spoke on the House floor was a joke about not being there to start a duel. Thank you, Madam Speaker. And to ease everyone's nerve, I want you to all know that I am not here to challenge anyone to a duel like Alexander Hamilton or Aaron Burr. Within a couple of hours, police would be drawing guns inside the very chamber she had been addressing, and as I said, blood would be spilled. While Bobert worked herself into a fast-acting lather, 
Mitch McConnell countered the effort to overturn the election results by pointing out that if the Hawley-led objection went forward, it would lead to a disputation of every election and, quote, every four years would be a scramble for power at any cost. McConnell said that Democrats have disputed every election that their candidate lost, which is true, but in a very limited way because all the losing candidates conceded and their objections never came to a vote on the House or Senate floor. But McConnell emphasized this point to try to convince his fellow Republicans. If you don't like what the Democrats did, he pointed out, you would be a hypocrite to favor this. But we must not imitate and escalate what we repudiate. This was supposed to be a parameter for what could have been a sad and sluggish day of doomed to fail protest votes and lots of preening for a TV audience. Instead, it was a frenzied day of fleeing in gas masks amid lockdowns and violence. As scenes of walls being scaled and windows being shattered and institutions being violated, as those scenes filled our TV screens, the media grew increasingly appalled. There, there is this thing called a stochastic terrorism, which is the idea of leaders putting out falsehoods and demonizing people. And then acts of violence happen, and it can't be directly tied, but it's, it's, it, there is a responsibility there. That was, again, CNN's Jake Tapper. This was CNN's Van Jones. This is treason. This is insurrection. This is rebellion. Period. Now, terrorism is a term of art, and it can have legal definitions. It can also just mean to terrorize, and I wouldn't fault anyone who witnessed what was going on and was frightened, indeed terrorized. Treason is a more poorly chosen word. Sedition is apt, but treason is actively waging war against the United States, aiding its enemies, and is punishable by death. Talk cautiously about treason, I would advise. And you have to wonder, is it treason if the coup is plotted from above? Maybe it is. As Jim Acosta asked, again in hyperbolic, though perhaps fitting tones, where was the president? You could almost take it to the bank, Jake, that the president of the United States is watching all of this unfold, watching what he egged on unfold, and is essentially watching the world burn. So where was the president? Eventually, he issued a video which urged peace, or at least used the word peace, but also told the unpeaceful that they were in fact correct, that the election had been stolen, and that he empathized or sympathized with their plight, meaning his plight. It was an odd and ineffective call to end the belligerence in that it reaffirmed the very casus belli that caused the rioting in the first place. The mob had a mob mentality because they were a mob. And what defined that mentality was clearly provided by their leader. Donald Trump spoke to them at a rally hours before they descended upon the Capitol. The radical left knows exactly what they're doing. Trump listed discredited example after example of how this election was unfair. Dead people voting, stuffed ballot machines, counting ballots that were received, he said, too late. Every manner of disproved argument that had been thrown out and sometimes angered the courts. And those courts were often judges that he appointed. These were all brought up and used to rouse the crowd. He argued for over an hour and his thesis came down to one word, fraud. And what do you do with fraud? 
And fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. Different rules or no rules at all. And where would be the place to demand this new set of rules or non-rules? Well, the Capitol, right down the street from where he was speaking. Trump told them to go, and he inaccurately said he'd be right there with them. We're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. Among the protesters who heeded this call was a guy who entered Nancy Pelosi's office after the speaker had been escorted off the premises. He or someone had written these words on a folder on a desk in that office, quote, we will not back down. Wherever might he have gotten that idea? We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft. One person who wasn't interested or merely hoping this would all end peacefully, but was literally reliant on calm being restored is Jim Newell. He's Slate's senior political writer, and he was at the U.S. Capitol during all of this. As far as I know, when you're hearing it, he might still be there. He was covering the efforts to toss out the election, and he found himself in the center of a storm Jim and I spoke a few hours ago. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Jim Newell is our congressional correspondent here at Slate. Today he is, well, let's find out, a crime scene reporter, (laughs) a perhaps, as has been suggested on CNN, a stochastic terrorism expert. Jim, tell me, how are you, first of all, right now as we speak to you a little bit before 4 Eastern time? How are you? I'm all right. Um, I am uh, in lockdown on the complex in a secure location. Uh, I've been here for about a couple hours or so. I don't don't think we really know... um, what's going to happen next because we don't exactly know how things are playing out outside the doors. So, um, I mean, we, we're pretty safe here, I guess. And um, we'll just we'll just wait to see how long it takes them to clear it out. When you got to work today, did you notice security was more in presence than it usually is? Yeah, though, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like state of the union level security or anything where you really need to show your badge, you know, to walk every 10 feet. I mean, there were still there were barricades on each side of the Capitol. There were, you know, lines of police officers. Um, it looked like heightened security, but not like uh, prepare for the overrun of the Capitol level security. And that, that may have proved to be a problem. Mm. Did any members or any staffers talk to you before there were the breaches of the complex about their worries? Uh, no, I mean, I just I got here a couple hours before the, the joint session started and I was just trying to ask some senators or some House members, you know, as I passed by them about Georgia results or about, you know, how things would go down today. But I didn't really ask anyone if they were concerned about security. I think it was hard to it was hard for me to kind of imagine that it would actually get this bad. You know, I I, I didn't think we'd have this kind of worst case scenario. A lot of these times there's, you know, huge protests in D.C. to stop the steal. And it's just a couple thousand people in Freedom Plaza or whatever. and doesn't actually go anywhere. So I, I think this really did take people quite by surprise. During the joint session, where were you positioned? 
so I was when the House convened at one o'clock, I was I was in the House chamber. And so the House chamber got shut down right before two, I think, by my recalling of it. What were you seeing and what was going on in the House chamber right after that? Well, so I, I wasn't there then. I went for the opening of the joint session and I watched the beginning of the Electoral College tally. And then when there was the objection to Arizona, which was the third state they were going through, I left the chamber and I was going to go watch the Senate. Um, so I didn't see the the lockdown of the uh, House chamber or anything like that. I just, I was on my way to the Senate and I was sort of looking out the window and I look out on the East Front and it seems like everything is secure there. There's just people behind the gates. And then as I'm walking back again, about five minutes later, I see that those gates are down. And then I start hearing a lot of shouting outside. Mm-hmm. And then I go on the third floor to a, a central part of the Capitol and look down on on one of the main doors uh, from from a balcony. And I see just the cops like body to body right outside the door. And it's clear that people are very close, you know. And then I could hear, you know, in the distance, some people shouting like, hey, you can't be in here. Um, but then finally on that that door, I was looking out on that central door. Some guys just started banging it and, and broke the glass through it. That is when... I got and was urged to get into lockdown. Yeah, and you posted video of uh, of that, the banging on the door. And are you in lockdown with who? Other members of the media, staffers in Congress? Who's in lockdown with you? Um, yeah, a little bit of uh, all of that. They don't want you to give away your position? No, I, don't, I don't want to give away much. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Has anyone articulated a plan, uh, credibly, that you've heard about to get the crowds to disperse? Um, no, I mean, we're, we're really kind of in a, uh, a void here. I mean, we don't really know what's going on outside. We get updates from staff um, occasionally about how things are going. I know they're sending, it sounds like they're sending reinforcements to, to clear up the hallways and everything. But I, I you know, I, from what I understand, that, that is still maybe a bit of a ways away from, from actually being back to a secure situation. So um, we're just, you know, holding up here trying to keep tabs of what's going on, everything else, looking at, you know, objects around us that could be used <laughs> in case, you know, a door busted open or something. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not, I, I, we're in pretty good shape here. Other than the people you saw outside and the windows being broken, have you seen any members of this crowd inside the Capitol? You personally? Um, no, I mean, once I heard they had breached and I mean, we, we got notice from a police officers in the hall, like they're in the building, we're in lockdown, like everyone needs to go. And so... Once I saw they were in, um, I, I went back to my secret hiding hole and was like, because they were about to lock the doors on everything. So I got out of there. Yeah. Are the officers there to protect you or to protect the elected officials? Well, I mean, they're here to protect everyone. Obviously, their first priority is uh, to protect the the VIPs. And so I, you know, they made sure they tried to evacuate senators and the vice president and everything first. Um, I'm not entirely sure what's going on with House members, I guess they're probably third priority after <laughs> the vice president, of the Senate. They're they're doing the best they can. They're trying to protect everyone. And I, I hope they get some reinforcements here because this is just it's a it's a real shame that this wasn't planned for. The requirement is that the vote shall be certified on January 6th. I don't know if this is what the protesters are thinking to the extent that they are thinking, but is the goal to delay that and then maybe create a congressional issue if the vote isn't certified just out of safety concerns? Oh, I have I have no idea what they're possibly thinking. I think they're just thinking we're going to storm the Capitol and cause a big ruckus because we have no idea what we're talking about. So I don't think they have some technical plan like 
well, according to this reading of the Constitution, you know, Trump will yeah. be president for four years if they don't get it done by this day. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a, it's like a primal scream almost. Mm-hmm. So you are just kind of monitoring much of the media that we're monitoring, finding out, I suppose, tell me if this is right, finding out newsworthy events, sometimes tragic events that are going on in the very building where you are situated right now. Is that right? Pretty much, you know, trying to discern what certain noises are uh, outside the doors. We got a a whiff of um, tear gas or something like that in here. You could smell a trace amount of it. So, you know, I'm just, I was just trying to write a little bit and um, figure out what's going on. I'm going to try to reach out to more people who are on the outside. I don't know. I kind of wish I could get out and, and cover what's going on a little bit, but probably for the best that I'm not. Yeah, that's the instincts, but the instincts of the news person is not always the instincts of the person who remains safe. And we want you to remain safe, Jim. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, Everything seems to be going all right here. Jim Newell is the senior politics writer for Slate. This means he covers Congress, where he is situated, at least as of this recording, 4 o'clock Eastern. Thank you, Jim. Here I am. (laughs) And I can report that shortly after this conversation... Jim and those who were with him were escorted by Capitol Police to a cafeteria in the House office building that is well protected. In the last few moments of this show, I wanted to just make a few comments that I had planned to make after watching the seismic results out of Georgia in which two Democrats exceeded their primary performances and gained election to the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Senate, which will now be a 50-50 body, but with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. And wow, wow, does the fulcrum of power ever owe a debt to Stacey Abrams. It is hard to think of another political actor who set out on as seemingly impossible a task for herself and exceeded that task. Sorry, it wasn't for herself, was it? It was decidedly not for herself. But even before today and even before what we saw at the Capitol, I was thinking and rethinking that the Republican political establishment might soon be reconsidering what was conventional wisdom, which was that so many of them were clamoring to get into the Trumpian lane of American politics. More and more, it looks like the Trumpian lane has jumped the divider and is headed for oncoming traffic. Is Trump the most popular and powerful force inside the party? I guess he is. But he's also clearly the most destructive force and not all outward destructive, inwardly destructive too. He's like a Hindu god. The Senate candidates who embraced him the most, Martha McSally of Arizona, Cory Gardner of Colorado, these two Georgia senators, they were beaten. In the first two cases, they were destroyed. Republicans who didn't fully embrace the president or even broke with the president significantly at times, like Susan Collins or Joni Ernst, they exceeded expectations. And I do think the memory of today's insurrection will be seared into the consciousness of a lot of people and not just Democratic partisans. It's the sort of appalling and shameful event that regular Americans, Americans who don't even pay that much to politics, will surely learn about and be shocked by. People just want low crime, low taxes if they could get it, their health, their family's health, general social harmony. You know, most people will find this very upsetting. And I don't know that they will remember or remember to connect the dots to Josh Hawley and he will be punished for it or Ted Cruz will be punished for it. But if there is a candidate who is clearly associated with Trump, and therefore clearly associated with this, it's definitely a general election vulnerability. 
And I do think it seems like a shakier place to plant one's flag than it did even two days ago. And yes, Republicans are afraid of being primaried, but they're also afraid of losing in the general election. And I think it's really not so certain that the key to being the most successful Republican will be the same thing as being the Trumpiest Republican. I always had my doubts about this thesis, and now I have greater doubts, and I wouldn't be surprised that all the would-be little Donalds don't come to this conclusion too. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by the fast-acting, quick-twitch editing, hurriedly scrambling, Margaret Kelly, Shayna Roth, and Jasmine Ellis. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcast, The Gist, Washington Post, November 9th, 2020. Behind the scenes, Trump advisors and his allies are increasingly resigned to a Biden victory, according to people familiar with internal discussions, who, like others interviewed for this report, spoke on the condition of anonymity to share private conversations. But few so far are actively discouraging the president or his campaign from pursuing all legal paths to contest the results. Quote, what is the downside for humoring him? for this little bit of time. No one seriously thinks the results will change, said one senior Republican official. Continuing quote, he went golfing this weekend. It's not like he's plotting how to prevent Joe Biden from taking power on Jan 20. He's tweeting about filing some lawsuits. Those lawsuits will fail. And he'll tweet some more about how the election was stolen. And then he'll leave. That was smart. Not, not the sentiment. Requesting anonymity. Oomperu depperu dupru, And thanks for listening.